Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. As we adapt in this season of pandemic, we are meeting in our house churches in person and online as a primary space for worship, formation, connection, and encouragement. Teachings like this are one way we engage with scripture seeking to become more like Christ. These teaching podcasts also serve as a conversation starter for deeper engagement at House Church. We're glad you're listening. One of the things that <clears throat> I really appreciate about the way that God works is even this this morning as we every single time we have a gathering we meet as a team down front and we pray and we always pray, Lord, would you interrupt us? And what I appreciate is even this morning, as we have opportunity to come and to sit to hear from the Lord, um, we get an opportunity to hear a passage that, that I didn't necessarily plan on preaching, but I'm grateful for because it reiterates where we're going this morning. And so thank you so much, Trish. Uh, thank you for the hearing of the word. Um, I want to read one, one other passage uh, this morning just to throw it into our conversation. And this is what it says. It's in Luke 10, uh, 25 through 20 or through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell off into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of, of his clothes, beat him, and went on their way, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took, him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him in, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the, to the innkeeper. Look, look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any, for any extra expenses that you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell on the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, you go and do likewise. And so what I appreciate this morning is, um, first of all, good morning. It's really good to be with you all today. But what I appreciate is this morning, we have a chance really, and what I love about the way these two passages, all three of these passages intertwine, is that God is calling his people to action. He's calling them to not just be hearers, but to be doers. And I think that that is what the Spirit is going to be doing in our souls this morning as we have opportunity to respond to God together. And so a month ago, we talked about Renew being in a season of rebuilding. Thinking about rebuilding our faith, rebuilding our kingdom imagination, rebuilding our heart's rhythms, rebuilding our creativity, and our mission and witness to our neighbors, our coworkers, and friends. 
And last gathering, Ben started us on this trajectory of preaching through the commands of Jesus. And simply put, paying attention to Jesus and do what Jesus is asking us to do. And so we know in principle that this is a simple thing. Uh, when, uh, when my kids were young, we had this saying that, that they could probably respond right now. And I said, listen, when, when they were doing something we didn't want them to do, we would say, listen, and Kylie, Caleb, obey. Thank you. Um, it's still working. But this principle is really simple in nature, but it, it's not necessarily easy. And as we look at the commands of Jesus, they seem to unearth deep places in our hearts. It messes with our desires, and it exposes our sinful nature. But what we find in the commands is that there is grace upon grace upon grace for us, as Ben called us last week, to repent and believe. Repentance is not this scary thing, but it's this invitation from a loving God who continues to say, when you mess up, not if, when you mess up, when your desires are wonky, when your heart moves in a different direction, come back. And that is a beautiful, beautiful invitation. And so this is part of who we are as a community. As many of you have worked through men's discipleship group and women's discipleship group, the questions for discipleship are really simple. What are you hearing from God and anybody? What are you going to do about it? And my hope is that these two questions become such a deep part of our language, our vocabulary, our community identity, that the questions that take place within our community when we show up on a Sunday, when we run into one another uh, over dinner on an evening, or when we're just at the grocery store and we see somebody, it's, hey, how are you doing? What are you hearing from God? And what are you doing about it? I sense if we were a community that took those things seriously, as I'm watching a lot of us as we hear stories about from this stage over the last month about people responding to God in these small and big ways, that if we can keep this kind of discipleship front and center, we're going to see the rebuilding of the kingdom of heaven here. And the beautiful thing is, is it's actually, we're not even rebuilding. We're just participating in the building up of it. But we sense that we long for God to rebuild parts of our own soul and heart. And so this morning, I want us to take a deeper dive into the command that follows a similar story that Ben read about and taught on a few weeks ago. And that's the, the great commandment. Love your neighbor, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But this Jesus throws a different command at the end of this, and he says, you go and do likewise. I've been teaching snowboarding for the last two years at Spring Mountain, super part-time, and it's been a joy. It's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I, I love teaching adults. Um, kids are fun too, but they can be a lot of work. Uh, and adults are great because what happens with adults is we just want the head knowledge. Um, I actually was lucky enough to teach Bennett Briggs a few weeks ago, and he was the first student that I've ever had in two years, which isn't a long time, but I've taught a lot of kids in two years that literally got on the board learned a few things, watched something, and was able to ride down from a ski lift in the first 45 minutes. I've never seen that before. It's just amazing. But one thing I've learned about people is, is kids have this beautiful sense of when they see it, they, they try it. 
and adults try to think it to death. And it's amazing because as I teach adults, it's, well, you know, can you explain more about the technique? And I'm a nerd, so I love talking about technique. I, I love talking about theology. I love talking about all the things of God. I love talking about scripture. But sometimes, dang it, you just have to get out and do it. And I think that's what Jesus is saying in this story. As, as, he's, as he's having this conversation with the teacher of the law, he's saying it's not just this head knowledge. So let me tell you a story and let me flip it on its head at the end and say, now you go and do the same. And so, as, you know, we can give students head knowledge like you wouldn't believe. But what I appreciate when I, when, I, when I look at the way that kids embrace learning something new is they try and they fail and they try and they fail and they try and eventually they get it. And I think this is what Jesus is doing as he's teaching on neighboring. He doesn't say, now you know, and knowing is half the battle. But he says, you go and embody this. It's really significant for us. And I think it calls us to a space of repentance. And I think it also calls us to a space of belief or of action. And so let me just throw um, just a couple of things really fast. I want to just give a little bit of history here. Um, these conversations that we, that we hear are conversations that are typically normal, as we can understand, between rabbis and teachers of law and, and people when, when they would gather around to talk you would hear questions like, so how do I inherit eternal life, Rabbi? Let's test and see if you really know what you're talking about. And so this isn't the teacher of the law being a pain in the butt, but it's the teacher of the law actually engaging in, in, in rabbinic conversation, which is a beautiful thing. And so what I appreciate is this, this teacher of the law brings up two things. He brings up Deuteronomy 6.5, which is that passage, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that's such a deep identity in the, in, the is, in, Israeli, in the Israel culture, the culture of Israel, in the Jewish culture. This is, I, this is the identifying phrase. We love God with everything we have. And then he even throws this Leviticus 19.18 verse, probably because he may have heard Jesus talking about it. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, an Israelite would have defined a neighbor as a fellow Israelite. So someone who thinks like me, dresses like me, walks like me, talks like me, that's my neighbor. And what it means to love God is to love my fellow Israel. And this question of, of who is my neighbor that he asks is, is brilliant. And I don't know if he's asking this because he's snarky and a smart aleck, or if he's asking this because he genuinely wants to know, Jesus, how do you define neighbor? A few years ago, we actually did an entire series called The Art of Neighboring. And I love, uh, show to that next slide, Bennett. I love this picture. And so we, we had everybody with this, the, the beautiful squares and the tic-tac-toe thing with all the houses. And we had people go home and write down who are their neighbors? What are their names? What's some things that we know about our neighbors? And it was a challenge to say, how do we get out and begin to understand our neighbors? What does it look like for us to love them well? What does it look like for us to serve them? What does it look like to, to see these as beautiful kingdom e expressions and opportunities to see Jesus show up in our neighborhood? And one of the things that was so brilliant about our time that we had together is we really looked at the beauty of sentness, that we are people who are sent on purpose to the places where we live, where we work, where we play. Now back to Jesus' teaching. <clears throat> 
So what we have to understand is the backdrop of this interaction, as I've said earlier, is, is this passage, uh, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, but it's also this passage of Leviticus 1.18. And so I just want you to hear it. It says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord your God. And what Jesus does as he teaches on this, as he tells the story, as he shares the story, he, he, he actually challenges this teacher of the law by saying, you're not taking it far enough. And he, Jesus alludes to Leviticus 18, 13, or 34, and he says this, and you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so now we come to the story, to the beautiful parable. And, and I think these parables have multiple on-ramps to talk through all kinds of stuff. And if I had a few hours, I think we would get lost in this story. Because I think there's so much about who God is, about how he's calling us to understand a deeper overtone of his grace, how he's inviting us into loving our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and the people that we are around, and even how we love our enemies well. And so I think there's both good news, there's gospel truth in this, and there's challenge, and there's opportunity for repentance in this story. I, I sense in some ways that it, we can really catch quickly, does it seem like Jesus is putting down priests and religious elites? Or is he, putting, is he pushing up or propelling the outcast, the Samaritan? Or might he be speaking of something deeper? Is he speaking to people who don't want to end up like the guy who fell among the robbers? Which I think really gets us at the place of repentance. Maybe the priests like some of us are afraid of becoming unclean. But the funny thing in this story is that he's leaving the holy place of Jerusalem where he has met with God, where he has pronounced forgiveness, where he has led worship, where he has poured out oil and seen forgiveness, reconciliation, and life restored. He has bound wounds and spent time in the worship of Yahweh. And his thinking might be something like, hey, maybe there's somebody else that's going to come along because I got to get home to the family. And we also understand that for, for priests, they didn't want to be around corpses because that meant they were unclean and they had to enter into a, a protocol of becoming clean once again. And so he passes. Maybe the Levite doesn't want to get caught up in the trouble of the whole thing. And maybe no one's there to notice because she already served. She's exhausted. She doesn't have time for the woman whose heart might be focused on following all the rules or getting home to make dinner. And besides, it's getting dark outside, and this road is dangerous. And we come to the Samaritan, where just a chapter ago, Jesus is walking by a Samaritan village, and the disciples say, well, first of all, the Samaritan village, as they walk by, Jesus says, he looks at them, and the Samaritan village says, hey, we don't, we don't want you here. And so the disciples do the most holy and godly thing you can think of. They say, Lord, shall we call down fire on these people? And Jesus says, yes, and they do. No, Jesus says, no, of course we're not going to call down fire. But he basically ignores and they move on. But there's something about this 
that this Samaritan, he, he slows down and he stops. And I wonder if this story is really story about who gets eternal life. Is it the one who comes and cares for the suffering servant? If we think about the servant who's left for dead along the road, it sounds a lot like the suffering Messiah, the one who has been beaten among thieves and robbers and left for dead. And the one who seems to grab that is not the one that we think, but it's actually this obscure outcast, the Samaritan, who comes and bandages the wounds and heals. And there's something about this beautiful expectation, this beautiful play between this and the following story of Martha and Mary, where Martha is so concerned with serving and doing the right thing that she misses that we actually serve a God that just wants us to be present with. And I think this is the invitation for us this morning. When we think about who Christ is, when we think about what it means to be loved by God, some of us feel like we're that broken Samaritan, that broken person who's been beaten and left for dead. And Jesus is that Samaritan. Jesus is that outsider, the one that we don't fully get. He doesn't come in power. He doesn't come in, in the authority of, of the world, but he comes in the heart of a servant. He comes as God in flesh, and he binds up the wounds, and he heals. He puts him on the donkey. He puts her on the donkey and rides and cares for the wounds. My friends, that is Jesus. Like all of us have had these experiences, those who have come to know and follow Christ, where we've had moments when we feel like we've been beaten up and left for dead. Uh, and some of that, that's been the last two years for us. But yet Jesus comes. Jesus is the hero of this story. But I want to play a little more with this. The Samaritan seems to practice compassion. And I think the only way compassion comes in this story is because he slows down. He gives up his time. He gives oil and wine. He gives up his transportation. And I was thinking about the way that, that he gives up his donkey. Um, if, if anyone has ever talked with Aubrey over the years, uh, I, I get really frustrated. And also, I think it's really cool how she picks up strangers on the road, which I, I'm like, you need to stop that. But some of the most beautiful people that I've had opportunities to meet have been folks that she's spent time with because she sees a, someone on a rainy day, picks them up and drives them to where they're going to be. Shouldn't do that anymore, Aubrey, but I'm really glad that you do because you're discipling me and what it is to be a Samaritan and to love people well. But the parable of the Good Samaritan, this is where we find ourselves today. And we see this interacting with, interaction with Jesus and the lawyer. And the first way that we have opportunity to look at it is through this beautiful gospel proclamation. And this story is actually Jesus foretelling his death. This is the story of, of an invitation to come and to see not the, the risen king, but the one who has died for our sins, the one who was, who was risen, the one who has the power to destroy sin and death. And Jesus calls us to repent in this story. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to spend time with him because he is gentle and loving and healing. And many of us have experienced what it's like to be dead. But I want to get back to that original question that the teacher of the law asks, and that's, who is my neighbor? And I want us to look at this in two different directions. And the first direction is that Jesus seems to be defining neighboring in a way 
that caused the lawyer and the priest and the disciples and the hearers to repent and to see people differently. And folks, we really want to spend time as a community. There's two things that we really want to be about, and that's formation and mission. Formation for mission. Because we believe that God forms our hearts not so that we can feel really happy, but so that we can be kingdom agents that are sharing this good news, that are living this good news, that are embodying the story of Christ, the story of his death, burial, and resurrection in all of our lives. And I think there's a, there's a few thoughts that I have. And the first is this. For us, this is calling us to slow down and embrace our sentness. What would it look like if we saw our neighbors, our towns, our coworkers, our family, our friends as one that God has sent us to? What would it look like if we embraced this idea as God sends Israel into exile to say, how do I be a blessing in this space? It seems like God's heart is one that longs to bless wherever his people are. And I think that there are small ways and big ways that we can do it, but I want to begin with one of the smallest of ways, but I think it's actually the biggest. We start by listening. I ran into this quote by Doug Steele a few months ago. And it says this, to listen another soul into a condition of discovery may be almost the greatest service of any human being provides for another. One can listen someone into existence. Now, some of you may be like, man, that sounds really frou-frou-y and weird. And it is, sort of. But I think what I love about this is there's something that happens when we slow down and we recognize that part of... Part of being a sent people who are called to be healers in the world, we have to first learn how to listen. And so these are just some of the things that I sense are important for us practically as we learn to be neighbors, coworkers, friends, and family that are engaged in the heart of, of healing in the season that we are in right now. And I think this is the heart behind what I see in the opportunity for us to walk with our neighbors during Lent. And it's like this, just a few thoughts. I think we need to listen and suspend judgment. And my friends, this is the hardest thing, and this is a place of repentance for me, because the minute that I hear a catch word or a phrase, I shut off. Anybody else? Just me. Okay. Thank you, Dave. There's two of us in here. But there are these ways where we very quickly are, we're so fast to, to just judge and move on and, and dismiss. Um, I think another one that I've really appreciated is uh, Ben has been talking about the power of praying the Lord's Prayer specifically over neighbors and people that he meets. May God's will be done in fill-in-the-blank world. There's something powerful about what it is to be a people that pray. I think this is a big one and probably the hardest for all of us, but we need to slow down. I wish there was an app on the phone that would make you slow down, but there really is not. 
But there's something about being a slower people that helps us come to a place where we begin to listen more. We begin to see with different eyes. We begin to actually notice the footprints and the handprints, and we have the ability to dust for the fingerprints of God, whether it be in conversation or just the things that we are seeing. I think we also need to begin to notice the on-ramps for the gospel. Um, And this was a great one. Um, On Tuesday, I had a chance, uh, for those of you that are new with us, uh, this is why this is the coolest church in the world. They gave me money for a tattoo uh, to commemorate my sabbatical. And so I sat down in a chair for four hours on Tuesday, and I got to tell this beautiful story about this, this. This guy is not a church guy. He said, the minute my parents said I didn't have to go to church anymore, I stopped. But I loved this beautiful interaction. And when you have four hours with someone, you never know what's going to happen. And so what was really cool is as we were chatting and I was bragging about my really cool church, he goes, that's a pretty bleeping cool church. I think I could maybe go to a place like that. And I thought to myself, man, you should totally come. Maybe you can give me a tattoo while I teach. I probably would fall asleep halfway through because for some reason it doesn't hurt for me. I don't know why. Anyways, um, but I think what was cool is as we were talking, there was this moment where just listening to his family, listening to our stories and just interacting. And there was this moment where I sensed the Holy Spirit say, most of the decisions he's made in life have been based on fear. And I said, Will, sounds like a lot of your decisions have been based on fear. And he literally stopped. And he looked at me and said, I think you're right. I said, what would it look like not to worry and be afraid? I, I can't even get my mind around that. My friends, there are on-ramps of the gospel in every conversation that we have opportunities to be in. I mean, you know, I'm looking at Trish and Kelly, who are physical therapists. You guys do healing work with people. I mean, literally healing work with people. And like, God bless the two of you. I'm sure there are these beautiful on-ramps that you see all the time. And if you don't, in Jesus' name, can you see them? And they're there. But there's something about being able to recognize these beautiful on-ramps. That's what I love about hanging out with Dave Edwards, because he sees these on-ramps. And sometimes it's around lifting weights at the Y. But there's something about that. I I think about waffle trucks at the Vaso's house. I think about uh, Clyde and Kim noticing their neighbor's roof that's busted up and needs work. There's all these on-ramps that we see that they're there, they're present, they're just, they're pregnant and waiting for someone to come and and just see the gospel begin to pour out of this conversation. Another thing that we do is is we, we learn to serve well. Jesus modeled this thing so well. How do we serve the people around us? Again, I'm going to say this again, we listen, because I think it's important to say we listen again. But we listen for the pain and we listen for the celebration, because friends, I don't think Jesus was just looking for charity. I think he was looking to see lives transformed. And sometimes that is in the act of celebration, and sometimes that is in the place of pain. But healing comes in both spaces. We learn to play. There's something about playing, and, and it's, it's been really neat. Uh, whether, it's be, whether it be on the mountain, for me, I, I, a, a big missional part of my life died with the pandemic as I started to embrace sleeping at a normal hour and stopped playing men's league hockey because my body just cannot stay up until one o'clock in the morning, two nights a week. It's impossible. But I miss that, that play. There's something about the spaces where we play are these spaces where I believe that we can 
we can go and do likewise. And I, I love how a lot of you are already doing that and embracing that. And I think the last thing is we need to be a people that have a scent mindset. Whether I'm driving down the street to get groceries, whether I'm going for a walk in my neighborhood, whether I'm at the water cooler getting a glass of water, whether I'm in my home changing a diaper, somehow, some way, God may be at work. The kingdom may be waiting to explode in that particular space. And I think this is a really important thing. Sentness means to stay. Um, I love this quote by Abba Anthony. I actually really, I, I love the desert fathers and mothers because they're weird. And I think there's something really important about paying attention to the weird people in our lives because I think God speaks to them. But I just, I, I want to point out two things before we get to this quote. And, and it's this, the world was a mess back in this time. And so these, these people left and they went to do, to do spiritual warfare in the desert. You hear stories about Simon of Stiletus, the man who sits on a pole and, and prays. And every day he'd, you know, bring up a bucket with food in it and he'd keep praying and doing, doing life. And I mean, he just was in this spiritual space. And a lot of these folks moved out into the wilderness to, to essentially grow the theology of the church in my thought and to also do some of these things. But what I love is I can picture, I can picture myself as a 20-some-year-old as a who's radical and I, I want to change the world. And, and I'm going to go to these obscure people in the desert because those are the ones that I think can really change the world. And I can imagine showing up in front of Abba Anthony and saying, okay, all right, so tell me, what, like, what do I do? Where do I get my cool robe? Because I really want a monk's habit because those things are awesome. Um, when do we start making the wine like Briar Tuck? Like, like, what are we doing? Let's get this thing started. But I love this. What must one do to please God is asked. The old man replies, pay attention to what I tell you. Whoever you may be, always have God before your eyes. Whatever you do, do it according to the testimony of the Holy Scriptures in whatever place you live. Don't leave it easily. Keep these three precepts and you will be saved. It's really tempting in this season for us to, to just pull out a culture and pull out of all the different places because it, it's, it's frustrating. It's hard because it feels like there's not much we can really do about it. And, and I'll be the first to say, I mean, you know, some of us are really good at being able to engage certain social media things in the name of Jesus in a lot of peace and grace and love. Some of us aren't. <laughs> and those that are, thank God for you. Thank you for the ways that you're doing that. And those that aren't, we need to figure out ways to be embodied, hang out with each other, and look at each other face to face and figure out how do we, how do we love Jesus on grassroots level? But I think what this is really important is that it actually calls us to this very simple thing. And this is what I believe it is for us. That where you are, you are sent to. Students being in middle school and high school, you're sent there. If you're on the lacrosse team or you're in a school play, you're sent there. If you play field hockey, you're in the band, you're in the tech club, the ski club. You're sent there. That's where you are. Christ has sent you to that place. If you're single, you're sent to that right now. If you're married, you're sent to that. If you're widowed, you're sent to that. 
If you're foster caring right now, fostering, you are sent to me. Like Jesus has sent you to these places. And he says he's never going to leave us or forsake us, but he's going to be with us and in us in all of these places. And so, friends, where you live, you are sent to. Where your family is, you're sent there. Where your neighbors are, you're sent. You are sent to your neighborhood. The houses around you, that's your parish. John Wesley had this beautiful statement. He said, someone, and I'm going to paraphrase it because I'm getting real excited, but the world is my parish. I love that Wesleyan quote. Well, where's my parish? Where are my people? It's the world. Yeah, it's wherever you are. And that's an important statement for us to wrestle with, to have convict us, to remind us that, hey, we're here. You're sent to your coworkers, even the ones that you don't like, even the ones that you flat out disagree with. And my gosh, uh, as, as a protector, there's a few people that I've heard uh, many of you talk about, some of your coworkers that I want to come and wrestle uh, and put in a headlock. But we're sent to these people. We're sent to where we are. And so, friends, this is what I know. Spring is right around the corner. And this is really, really simple, very super practical. How many of the folks here are involved in spring sports with your kids um, or your grandkids? Whether your kids are, just like raise your hand. Like if your kids are playing, you're coaching, you know, you're doing something, keep them up. You're, you're doing something. Just look around. Like throw those hands up. That's, that's a lot of you, okay? Or you're on a sports team. What if God has sent you to be, a, to be a missionary cleverly disguised as a parent at a baseball game? Guys, I can't think of a space where there's more time to sit. I mean, I've, I've been to some of your baseball games. They are not fast-paced. They're beautiful. But these are opportunities that we have to begin to go and do likewise. What would it look like if we embraced the spring sports, not as this thing that we're really bothered by because it ruins our schedule, but as this thing is an opportunity for us to begin to be missionaries, to begin to, to pray, to begin to listen, to begin to play, and to notice the movements and the overtones of grace, to pray for on-ramps of the gospel, and to think about these spaces not as my kid's team, but this is my church. This is the place that I'm sent to at the moment. And what if churches began to spring out of these baseball, lacrosse, whatever teams that we're involved and invested in? So if you're involved in a spring sport in any way, or you're a parent that's going to be watching or a grandparent that's going to watch, can you stand up? I know it's uncomfortable. We don't want to do that. Just... Um, and real fast, any coaches here? Are there any coaches in the room? Raise your hand. Okay. One, two, three, a couple of us. Um, we're going to pray for our coaches, and then I want to pray for all of the parents who are also just going to be there. And so can we pray for you guys real fast? And for those of you that just, if you could kind of reach your hand close to the people next to you, even put a hand on them, that would be awesome. I would appreciate that. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, these are missionaries cleverly disguised as coaches and parents and uh, watchers and participants in their kids' spring sports. Jesus, would you remind them every single time they walk onto that field, when they get in the car, that they're being sent to that place, that the kingdom of God might show up 
in ways that we never imagined. And we'll have to have a four hour praise session just because we can't hear all the stories in one gathering of the way that Jesus is show the way that you're showing up and changing lives and hearts. Lord, help us to have eyes like the good Samaritan to slow down. Help us to hear the stories uh, in these conversations that we're having with other adults and other students uh, and other kids where, where you're at work and where we can maybe even ask a question and listen well and listen one of these, these beautiful ones, one of these ones made in your image into the kingdom. Lord, it's hard to be sent. And sometimes our attitudes are going to stink. But Father, I pray that you would really quickly encourage us in those moments. So in the name of Jesus, we bless these parents and grandparents and folks who are going to be coming out to be present with their kids in these spaces. In your name we pray. Amen. Now for everybody else. (laughs) Wherever you are, you are sent. And I just want to ask you to stand. So if you're someone who is sent, uh, whether you're a teacher, it doesn't matter what you are, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, you're sent there right now. And if you're able to, can you stand? And we just want to pray for you. We want folks to just put hands on you and pray for you as well. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I bless these people in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would give them eyes to see, ears to hear, and courage to listen to the ways in which you are at work. Father, that they would be people that are dusting for fingerprints in conversations, whether it's at work or at home or on a walk or in the grocery store or at the coffee shop or wherever they are. May they just live into this beautiful sentness that whatever they are doing, wherever they are supposed to be, that they are sent there. Father, that you give them courage and boldness to stop and notice and pour out oil and wine and bind up wounds. So Jesus, I bless all these folks, this beautiful community, and those that aren't here in the name of Jesus. And we just pray that these things would become reality for us. Amen. And so all of this, I, I just want to say, is because I, I, Ben and I believe that as we rebuild as a community, it needs to spread into our homes, our neighborhoods, our communities, and our workplaces. And if it doesn't, I'm not sure we've been following Jesus. And so can we be people that are following Jesus into every place where we're called to be? Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.